0: The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Uh, today is the beginning of a new series that we're doing called Hard Word, and it's uh, as you can tell already, it's a little bit about laughter. And uh, so before we get started, I just make a, a couple disclaimers. And they tell you in, in, in Bible school, uh, never, ever make a disclaimer before you're going to get up and say something. And so breaking with precedent here to say that um, this this idea for this service, this series, popped into my mind as it happens to me. From time to time, things pop into my mind, just like yours. And just like that brilliant idea I had about having church without ever receiving an offering. Yeah, well, we tossed that one out. But um, this idea came because everything is so serious all the time. I mean, every series that we do, if you look on these walls over here, you'll see all the series. There's must be 50, 60 of them all serious, every single one. And I got to thinking, you know, what's missing from everything that we've been doing? And it's a real lighthearted laughter type series. And so that I thought, well, maybe we should do something like that. And so here it is. And so this is John's great idea, and if it works really good, and it's awesome, and it blesses everybody, then we'll say it was God's. And if it's really horrible and terrible, then nobody is going to panic more than Pastor Trevor, because he's up next week. (laughs) So He is sitting there right now, sweating bullets, praying, oh God, help John do a good job, because it'll be really difficult to follow up on a disaster. Actually, maybe not. Maybe that would be really easy. Maybe I should be a disaster. Then he doesn't have to do much and he'll be better than me, right? I don't know. But anyway, that's what we've got planned for today. And so let's get to it. All right, you ready? All right. The series is called Hard Word. And hard word is because there are some parts of the Bible that are difficult to talk about. And and in fact, they're they're so delicate that when the Bible was translated, the translators wrestled with these passages so much that they changed some of them, changed the wording, uh, came up with the most sanitized version they could, Without taking away the original meaning. And so when you go back, see the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, right? You know that, right? It was written in Hebrew. And then it went into other languages, Latin, English, German, so on and so forth, from the Hebrew. And so during that whole process of translation, a couple things uh, changed, so what I've done, and I do this often, is if I read a passage in the Old Testament, and it just doesn't quite make sense, I have a, have a set of these old uh, Hebrew commentaries, and these are really like the commentaries the Pharisees and the Sadducees wrote. okay? So this is what the, the earliest way back the Jews, what they thought it meant and it's quite interesting to see their perspective and how different it is from modern English translation. So uh, here's one of those passages. But let's kind of build on this first. Our key verse for this series is Proverbs seventeen twenty two. It says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And we've been saying for years around here that we don't take our, ourselves very seriously, but we take our faith real seriously. You hear that over and over, and that's definitely the case. I think of that verse right there, that, that capsulizes that whole concept for me. And people over the years, many years of ministry, people have asked me, does God laugh? Because most people think when they picture God, they picture his face. It's kind of stern, you know, the white hair. Not a not a angry face, but a little bit of a grimace maybe, definitely serious and definitely not <coughs> laughing his head off. So it's a question, does God laugh? And does Jesus or did Jesus ever laugh or either one of them have a sense of humor? And it's a a valid question, so let's look at that. First of all, if you look at Genesis 1.26, right at the beginning of the Bible, you see it says that God is speaking, and he says, let's make man in our image. So all of us, we were created in the image of God. So there's a a lot of God inside of us. That doesn't mean we're gods. It doesn't even mean we're close to being gods. It just means there's a divine spark, there's a divine layer on us that resembles God. And so God gave you and me the ability to laugh. And some of us, he gave us a sense of humor. Now, some of you used to have a sense of humor, but you've been in church way too long, and you've lost it. I'm sorry. You've become the pickled, self-righteous prune of the church, and if you're not sure if that's you, it's you, okay? Sorry to break that to you this morning. But we know that we can laugh, we can have a sense of humor. In fact, you know, some people have the gift of humor. You don't think of Robin Williams was like that. I I think he had a gifting to be funny, or Jim Carrey. I mean, it seems like Jim Carrey can just, on the spot about a pine cone, start being funny. And uh, I I think one of my boys actually has this too. He just has that ability to just make everybody laugh, and maybe that's a, a gift from God. And so, if God gives us these abilities, then it means they come from him. So therefore, God is able to laugh, he does laugh, and he has a sense of humor. Now, if you don't believe God has a sense of humor, just look around this room. Go ahead. Look around, you start laughing. If you don't think, okay, let's look at. If God has a sense of humor, look at some of the funny things that He's made. Okay, let's just look at. How about this bird? Whoa! Ha! Oh. <laughs> That's a funny bird. How about this monkey? Or this dog. (laughs) Or a horse. (laughs) Or Or maybe a donkey. Is that a donkey? Oh, that's a donkey. (laughs) And this last one, I'm not sure what that is. (laughs) But that's definitely a smile. God created those things. Okay, so we know God created some funny things. The Bible, God's written word, tells us that laughter and humor is good. Psalm 126 in verse 2, we were filled with laughter and we sang for joy and the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. So, Bible talks about laughter and says laughter is good, laughter is a medicine, laughter is created by God. He gave us the ability to laugh and enjoy and see funny things and have that, and aren't you glad? I'm so thankful that the Lord isn't just always serious, and that he can laugh, and there's there's a lighthearted side to him. And we don't do all the time, but that certainly does exist. Now, there's also really funny verses in the Bible. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of them. I'm not going to share all of them today, but I definitely want you to notice Deuteronomy 14.21. This, this, <laughs> this, this kills me. Uh, it says this. Uh, do not eat anything you find already dead... Now, you can give it to a foreigner residing in any of your towns, and they may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner. So don't eat roadkill, but go ahead and sell it at the market. (laughs) I mean, that's hilarious, isn't it? Uh, Do do you know they had rednecks all the way back here? I mean, clear back in the Bible, you have rednecks. I wonder how this verse is interpreted in rural Kentucky. You know, maybe they alter it for Kentucky. Roadkill is good for for some things, uh, but you know how do they how do they alter that verse? Uh, I think it's hilarious. The part that you can sell it to foreigners just kills me. <laughs> Don't eat that. Don't eat that. That's dead. But. uh, Grab it real quick. We'll sell that at market. Nobody will know. Except God, apparently, and and he's up there laughing his head off. Well, not just funny Bible verses, but also funny stories. So I want to look at a funny story this morning, and this story is really funny. It also has some really great teaching and truth to it as well. So let me give you the background. Here's the background on this. This is in 1 Samuel 24, and I'm calling this King Saul's Toilet. Saul had been anointed king over Israel, and within a very short period of time, he revealed his bad, horrible character was coming out of Saul, and Samuel is grieved that he anointed him as the king of Israel. And so he's all upset and he's praying to God and complaining about Saul and how all of the evil that Saul's in his heart. And so God says, OK, go to this this house and there's a boy there and you can anoint him as king. And so he goes to the house of Jesse and he eventually ends up anointing his youngest son, David, as the new king of Israel. Well, he's just a, you know, 15 year old kid and Saul's still king. And so that creates somewhat of a problem, right? If the main prophet is declaring there's a new king. And so um, Saul, from that point on, once, once he heard that Samuel had done that, he hated David. He hated him, and he wanted to kill him. And so he started chasing after David. It started inside his own chamber in the kingdom there. He threw a spear at David, trying to pin him against the wall, and he's chasing him. So David flees out of the kingdom, he runs away, and a bunch of things happen, and he eventually gathers together five, six hundred men, mighty warriors, they join with David, he starts building this little bit of an army. And so Saul decides one day he's going to go out and he's going to take three thousand of the finest soldiers in Israel, and they're going to go and they're going to hunt David down and kill him. So that's the background leading up to verse 1 of 1 Samuel 24. You ready? After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. Verse 3, at the place where the road passes some sheepfolds. Sheepfolds are uh, giant caves, and they could either be uh, you know, natural or even man-made. And because this is a dry desert area, they, they, they would uh, create these caves, and they would take their whole sheep herd inside there so they could cool off in, in the summertime and or if there was a storm or bad weather they'd go in there and be somewhat protected and so it's where shepherds are taking their sheep and Saul went into the cave to relieve himself so he's you know, going to the bathroom now if you have raised boys then you know that at any moment that a boy needs to go, he's able to just go, right? Not like that with girls, right? So we're driving along, we're on vacation, we're driving along, we're going somewhere, and we're, you know, was, I think we were going uh, on a hike or something. The boys say, Dad, 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 stop, I gotta go, I gotta go. First question is one or two? Does that matter? One. Okay, no problem. No problem. I'll pull right over, run into the bushes, do that, come right back. Right? Anybody who has boys knows this to be true. Am I the only one that does this with my sons? Uh, Yeah, okay. Girls, it's different. It's different with girls. Saul is riding along on his horse, has to go into the cave real quick. But, in fact, If you have King James... Anybody still reading the King James? Okay. If you have King James, then it says he went into the the cave to cover his feet. See, this is what I told you now. You see? Hebrew, saying it like it is. And we add these little phrases here to kind of cover up what's going on. Okay? Okay. Because he didn't go into the cave to go number one. How do I know? In the Hebrew Bible, the footnote of verse 3 says, and I'm quoting now, so I'm quoting, this isn't me, to lower one's garment to defecate. That's what it says. So now we get a little different picture here, right? That's not quite the same as run into the cave and run back. Here's Saul riding along on his horse with all these soldiers. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, oh got to stop, guys. This is urgent. You know, they weren't camped. You know, this wasn't a setup. You know, I don't know. Did they make party potties back then? I don't know, but they had to have done something. You got three thousand men. You just don't want that going on all over the place. You know, you you gotta designate that. So, but Saul's riding along. He's like, whoop, oh, I gotta stop right now. And uh, maybe he just went to KFC. I don't know. Uh, You know what's terrible? It's terrible. You read this whole text, you see the context? God is the one who set this up. God set this whole thing up. <clears throat> so is God up in heaven with the angels going, okay, what are we going to do? <laughs> see, we've got to set this thing up for Saul and so he can meet David. And uh, so David, oh yeah, David, he'll be hiding in this. Okay, so uh, we need to give Saul some bad chicken." <laughs> let's let's get have the cook mistakenly grab the rotten chicken and put that in Saul's stew, and then that should work out good. Just you know, right about that time, you know, he has that, and then right, okay, and that perfect, that'll do the trick. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it didn't go like that, but it, I love how the the Wycliffe Bible says it. The Wycliffe Bible says. And he came to the sheepfolds or the pens that offered themselves to the waygoer. And there was a cave into which Saul entered where he could empty his bowels. <laughs> That's the Wycliffe Bible. The last part of this verse absolutely kills me. <laughs> oh, maybe I'm the only one with a sick sense of humor. <laughs> But as it happened, David and all of his men were hiding in the back of this cave. Now, how unlucky can you get? (laughs) Poor Saul, he's getting off his horse as carefully as he can. He's walking carefully into this cave and thinks he's all by himself. Takes off his robe, because we're not just doing the simple one-shot here. This is business takes off his robe, you don't want to get that on your robe, you know, and puts his robe aside, and he's doing his thing, and right behind him is 600 guys with David, watching this all pan out, pardon the pun. (laughs) That, to me, is absolutely hilarious. (laughs) Poor Saul, (laughs) of all the places, and God set him up like this. Oh, gosh. Saul's doing his thing. David and all his guys are watching this play out in front of him. So let's read on. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy in your power to do with as you wish. Because God had said to David that he was going to do that. And so his men knew that, and so they were thinking, this is it, man, this is your chance. He is super vulnerable. Go up there real quick and kill him. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my lord, the king. I should not attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. And then if you read on, you see what happens is uh, Saul finishes up uh, and puts his robe back on and goes back out of the cave. And he gets on his horse, goes down in the valley a little bit. And then David comes out to the beginning of the cave, the entrance of the cave. He yells out to Saul and says, Saul, Saul, look, I cut off the part of your robe. I could have killed you. God gave you into my hands, but I let you go free. And then they have this dialogue back and forth in where Saul says, you're more righteous than I. I'm sorry. And he goes back to Israel. So what can we learn from this story? Never eat at KFC. I don't mean to make fun of KFC, but it's just for my family. We can't go there. Everybody has their own restaurant they can't go to, right? Or normal families do. I mean, they definitely can't take our my mother-in-law anywhere. Uh, maybe the moral of this story is um, always be careful where you go outdoors because you don't know who's watching. Maybe. My wife's got a story about that. You should ask her sometime. <laughs> we were hiking, I won't tell it, but we were hiking one time, and when you're out in the wilderness, you're out in the wilderness, you know? there is so yeah, that's her story anyway. Maybe the moral of the story is this: whenever you go into a cave, be careful where you walk. You don't know you'll be stepping in, in there. I mean, if Saul had that idea, fair to say other people have had that idea. And it's dark in there. You're fumbling around. You come walking out smelling like a sewer. Or maybe the story is about something else. Yeah, I have to say it kind of is. This story is definitely about leaders and specifically about how to deal with bad leaders. And that's where the story becomes pretty serious. It's important to remember in this text that God was in charge of this whole situation. He set it up, which is really funny, and I'm, I, one day I'm going to ask him about that. Lord, how did you come up with that? That is just awesome. But here God is... Disciplining Saul, but at the same time, testing David. Both things are going on at the same time, and both things are important for us. Because you may have been in this situation, not not, not Saul in the cave, but in a situation where you had leadership that you had to deal with. So... <clears throat> If God has ever placed you underneath a tyrannical, self absorbed, prideful, manipulative leader like Saul, then you know it could be possibly that he's testing your character. Because there's something about serving under that kind of leader, especially in the church. You find yourself under a leader who's got those qualities, those Saul like qualities, it tends to reveal our hearts and expose our, inside of us, what's in us, those things that aren't too good. So I've got four principles I want to give you today as you head up. Number one, this story tells me that we should never allow the sin of one leader to be our justification for our own bad behavior. Because that's usually what happens a leader is sinning, they're doing something bad, they're doing something wrong, or, or you know, they're clearly in the wrong. And then you as a Christian, in your response to that, it's anger, hatred, slander, gossip, and all of those are sins, and some of those are really bad sins. And you can end up sinning yourself in your own response to somebody else's sin. And that's clearly what David was trying to avoid. He was being very careful as saying, I don't want to sin against God and justify it because Saul's wicked. And sometimes we do that. Two, second thing I think is really important here, this story reveals to us, never take a casual attitude when confronting a leader. Never. I mean, never, never think that it's no big deal or, um, or even that it's your right. Some Christians think that it's their right to correct the leadership. But listen to this. Paul said to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 5, he said, Don't even listen to an accusation against an elder or a pastor. Unless it is confirmed by two or three other witnesses. You know, there are a couple things about this verse. One, don't even listen to the accusation unless there are th- two or three people that saw it happen. Not one guy saw it and then he told the other guy and now you have two. Uh uh-uh. uh. Two or three witnesses to. The leader's problems. There's a, an opposite example because it's of a it's reversed in in Second Kings. Here we have a godly king, a godly leader, and somebody that's confronting him, and it's the reverse. It's in Second Kings two, and uh, this is Elisha. Elisha uh, is the you know Elisha followed up from Elijah, and so he's a prophet incredible guy. I mean, amazing things happened in Elisha's life, uh, people coming back from the dead and all these miracles. And so Elisha shaved his head to signify that he was a prophet following Elijah. And so it wasn't because he was naturally bald. He shaved his head and it let everybody know that he's a prophet of God in Israel and he followed Elijah. And uh, so one day he's going to this town, and this huge mob of young people. It doesn't say they're adults, or it doesn't say they're children, because it's young people. So maybe somewhere around 1920. Big mob comes, and they're going to um, humiliate and make fun of, and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Mock. The man of God. Now they weren't just mocking him. They were mocking God. Because he's a man of God. He represents you know, what God was doing in the land at that time. And they were mocking God. And so Elisha just says, the Lord rebuke you. And at that moment, two hungry female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them to death. Now, this, and, and the Bible is clearly showing us that the seriousness of the crime was indicated by the seriousness of the punishment that 42 of their number were mauled to death because they were mocking the leader now, I'm not implying that you'll be mauled to death by a bear if you critique me <laughs> if that were the case you'd already be dead right? Because you've already critiqued me. You guys critique me every Sunday on your way home, right? Unless it's not me. Unless it's Matt or somebody else. Then you're critiquing them. Well, we know that. And we'll get you back eventually. (laughs) The third thing here that I think this story tells us is that we should never assume that because a leader is a bad leader, that he or she should be removed. You see, we naturally assume that. We naturally assume, oh, that, that, he's a terrible guy. He's, he's not a man of God, and he's a liar and a manipulator, and on and on and on and on. He should be removed. And we, and we say that all the time. But this text right here tells us that that's a mistake. It's always a wicked leader. It was terrible. And his men were assuming, oh, okay, eliminate him, get rid of him, kill him. He should be removed. And David said, no, I am not an authority to do that. I have not been appointed by God to be the remover of leaders. Now, some people are, okay? Even in, and I think this is a universal truth. This applies everywhere, okay? Okay? Wherever there's a bad leader, there are also people in authority to remove him, even or her, even in an independent church. So you have an independent church, no, no denomination, no governing body. they're completely independent. So the senior pastor can say he's accountable to God and nobody else and do whatever he wants. But what will happen? is God will send other godly leaders who are in the same place of authority to confront that person. Amen. So there's always somebody who's appointed by God who has the authority to bring down a bad leader. And so in, unless that's you, you should not do it. Don't be involved in it. Don't be a part of it run from your life, have nothing to do with that. I, like I said, unless you're an appointed official, so it would be like an open Bible in our case, you know, open Bible, you're on the board, or you uh, have a position uh, in the denomination, You know, some sort of official position, those, those people are in authority to remove bad leaders. It's their job. So if that's not you, You should always be hands-off. That's what we learn from this story. Because that's what David did. Where am I? Number four. This is the last one. Never ever leave a church or a ministry while cursing and condemning the leader. David left the service of Saul it says he literally ran out of the kingdom. He took off because Saul was trying to kill him. He ran away, and he would not say a bad word about Saul, which is remarkable. It's remarkable, It's a, it's an example for all of us. In fact, after Saul died, David mourned his death and honored all of his relatives that survived. So if you find yourself in a bad church or you got a bad leadership or you know it's time to leave and things are horrible, never leave cursing and condemning the leader. Instead, just leave quietly. Let God deal with it. You know, there are some some leaders out there that I, I just I just I sit and I say, God, I don't get it. I don't know how. You let this guy keep going, doing his stuff. How do you let that go on? I don't know. That's God's business. It's not mine. And he hasn't called me to be the spiritual police. Has anybody in here a spiritual police? You've been appointed? I just want to know, so I can (laughs) avoid you. You know, some Christians think they are. You've probably met them, right? Right? You know, they usually start with this, or they have this big, massive Bible, right? They carry that around, and that's actually a weapon, okay? And then when they come to you, they pull that thing out, and they start firing verses at you, like a Western, or shooting you with the Bible. And they got a badge that says, I'm the police. I catch people in sin. Who here is a sinner? I'm going to get you. I'm the police. I've studied the Bible extensively, looking at all the spiritual gifts, all the offices assigned by God. I've never found policemen. Not once. I can't find it. If you find policemen in there, you let me know, and I'll avoid you. So if you're in a bad place, and I've been in those places, you should leave quietly. If you're in a place of authority and you're in a bad place, then you should carefully study the scriptures and see exactly how God wants you to confront that leader. It's all lined up. You start in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Start right there. Tell you what to do. Here's my final word on this today. I enjoyed this. This is kind of fun for me. Uh, But that's not my final word. (laughs) My final word is this. Laughter comes from God. So why don't you all just lighten up a little bit and laugh a little bit more. See the funny side of life relax quit taking yourself so seriously and just enjoy your life it really is a choice i found you can even laugh in a really horrible situation okay it's a good medicine and maybe that's all you need it's just a good laugh <laughs> amen